0: Can be new life. Foursquare Church welcomes you. We're located at 2350 Southeast Territorial Road, just off Highway 99E. We hope the following message will be a blessing to you. Uh, last week, and that was uh, spending some time with um, with our grandkids, and she had a conversation with my with my grandson, and um, he uh, he wanted to talk about his grandfa- great grandfather Annette's annette's dad who just recently passed away and so they were standing in the backyard having this conversation and i want to kind of tell you how the conversation went jack said this he said he's three and a half he said old grandpa knows what heaven looks like because he lives there and annette says he does that is awesome and jack said not that awesome he's dead He's got balance, man. That guy knows. I mean, yeah, there's a good part, but boy, there's a bad part to that too. So he tells you, man, that's, that's pretty good theology, you know? It's like when I was talking to Annette's father one time, and we were finding out and trying to find out her history and his history. said, hey, Pop, how did so-and-so die? He said, what? He couldn't hear very well. Hey, Pop, how did so-and-so die? He said, what? He said, how did so-and-so die? He says, I don't know, they just stop breathing, <laughs> folks. That's how you die. You stop breathing, and so that's good. I like that. And so Jack's following in his old papa's uh, footsteps there. So, well, let me do something. I want to share just something with you, just for a moment. Uh, we are so blessed in this community to have every Saturday in the Canby Herald. There are devotions that are sponsored by every church, every pastor. We're on a rotation. I've been on that rotation for. Boy, about 24 years now. And so it's so wonderful that we have a community that still does that. Uh, I'm so appreciative of that. Well, we submit our little uh, devotion. And what the devotion is derived from is a message or a sermon that I've done in the past. So, what was happening is they took my sermon that I did on Jesus Christ being the only way, the only truth, the only life. And they sent it in, and, uh, and it was too many words, I, I, I was told, and so they had to edit it a little bit. Now, you don't have theologians that are editing this, so you, you have to realize that. And uh, so at the very end of this devotion, and I believe it deserves some explanation, it, it says this, and it's me speaking, I think there are many ways to Jesus, but only one way to God. Now, You can misunderstand that because what I was saying there is all of us have different journeys to Jesus Christ. My journey to Jesus Christ is different than yours. Yours is different than mine. But there's only one way to God and that's through Jesus Christ. This is not New Age Foursquare Church. This is New Life Foursquare Church. There's only one way to God, and that is through Jesus Christ. So let us get the record straight. And you know, over 24 years, there are times where there's controversy. I mean, I've been around. I've been around the block uh, several times. And usually I don't say anything, but I'll tell you this. When it comes to you understanding that Jesus Christ is the only way, the only truth, the only life, I will make that extremely clear he is our only Lord and Savior. Can you say amen to that? Amen. amen. I love that. I love that. We'll continue, to, uh, we'll continue to preach that and teach that and live that out. So I want you to do this. Open your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4 this morning. We're continuing our series, Empowered for Life. It is a study in the book of Ephesians. What we're going to do today is we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4, uh, f- verses 4 through 16. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 16. Now, while I'm going to read to you all of those verses, I want you to know this. I'm not going to teach on all of those verses today. Again, my eyes were bigger than my stomach. You know this is my routine now. We have this set aside, but then when I get into it, I'm thinking, wow, this could take us a long time because I, I don't want to miss anything. This is like a wonderful journey. You don't want to close your eyes. You want to be alert, wide awake when you're studying the book of Ephesians. So this is what I'm going to do. In this passage, there is the teaching about the fivefold gifts to the church. It's toward the end of this passage. What I'm going to do is I'm going to circle back around to that in a few weeks. I'm not going to take time this morning to do that, but I will get to that. In fact, when I read it, I thought this would just take three weeks to do those three verses. Uh, But what we're going to do today is we're going to read the whole thing, and then we're going to talk about a few things that are important to us. It's worth repeating where we've been recently in this study. Let me tell you where we've been. If you remember that Ephesians 1 through 3, we're reminded of the amazing blessings that we have as believers in Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul is saying, here are the truths, the realities of knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And he's wanting us to be anchored in these truths. Here are some of those truths. I love them. First of all, one of my favorites is that we're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And that's the, that, that, that's the blessing that we have in Jesus. And then there's another one, that we're empowered by God's immeasurable strength. And then here's probably my favorite, we are saved by His grace. Don't ever forget that you're saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. That you could do nothing to earn your way to heaven. You could do nothing to earn favor with God. That he's always loved you. He always will love you. And this is what I know about God because I know it's true about my own story in life. Is that he loves to find lost things. And I'll say this. If you're lost this morning, he's looking for you. And he sends an invitation. He extends an invitation to you. It says he stands at the door of your heart. And He knocks waiting for you to open and give him an invitation in. That is the grace of Jesus Christ. And then there's this one too, and I love it. It's that we are reconciled to the Father so we can be reconcilers to each other. What Paul's talking about in those first three chapters, and especially in chapter 3, he's talking about the barrier that stood between Jew and Gentile is now broken down. And he's talking about reducing, having no prejudice, no racism in the body of Christ. There's no caste system in the body of Christ. That when we look at each other, we look at each other equally. I love this because we see further in Paul's writings, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says you have been reconciled to the Father. Now you've been given the ministry of reconciliation. How many know you had that ministry? Man, you probably went, I didn't sign up for that. But when you receive Christ as your Savior, you have automatically entered in to the ministry of reconciliation. I'll tell you why. Because now you know what it's like to have no barriers between you and God. That you have been reconciled by our Father in heaven. And now you go about reconciling the relationships that are, that are broken and, and that are torn down in your, in your life. That's what it says here. That I can have that ministry and God's given that to us. And then what happens is we go to chapter 4 and we see a transition. Anytime you see this one particular word, you know that the gears are changing. And the word is therefore. In another translation it says then. What Paul is saying at the beginning of chapter 4 is everything you've heard, now we're going to apply it. Don't forget what you've heard because now you're going to practice exactly what you've heard. And so what he's saying here is these blessings that have been secured for us, now we live them out through the power of God's Holy Spirit. And he talks about practical ways to live them out. That's what I love about God's Word. He says, now live this out in your marriage. Husbands and wives, live this out. Moms and dads, live this out in your child rearing. Live this out in your families. Live this out in your church community. Here are the places that you live this out, and this is how you live it out. There's two things that are going on here in chapters 1 through 3. It's really the the script, the truths. This is the manual, and it's telling us how to live. And then in in chapters 4 through 6, it says, Now here's how you apply what you've learned. Uh, several years ago and by the way I, I, and most of you know this my first piece of technology that I, that I, really, that I really learned uh, how to do something was two years ago listen I'm not a, a tech guy two years ago I get an iPad well my granddaughter can run that too she runs that better than I do and she teaches me stuff, so I'm not... But, but I, I thought about 10 years ago, I, I'm going to keep up. You know, I need to keep up with technology and everything that's going on. And so this is what I did. I asked Pastor Al if he would teach me how to use a computer. And he said, sure, I'll teach you how to use a computer. And this is what he does. The very next day, he walks in. And then when I made that invitation, and then he walks in, I totally regretted it because he comes in with a 900-page manual on how to work a computer, and he has everything highlighted. He has arrows pointed at different things and instructions, and I'm going through that, and I looked at that, and I got the hives just looking at that thing, thinking, is he crazy? Does he want me to read all this? I don't learn this way. You know how I learn? I learn by just kind of doing it. You know, my, my philosophy in life has been like, Ready, fire, aim. So I'm thinking, just start using it. So I said, forget the manual. I pushed the manual away and I just opened it up and I just started, I just started pressing on the buttons like this and I, and I got caught. Al walked by and he looks in the door and he sees me going, he runs and he goes, no, stop, stop. He goes, have you read the manual? I said, you're crazy. I'm never reading that manual. Another aborted attempt into technology, I stopped and I thought, man, you need both. So you need the manual. You need to know how to do it, but you also need to know how to apply it. And that's what Ephesians does in whole for us. It teaches us the truths, and then it talks to us about the application. Paul says it in the first verse. He says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. That's what I want to do. I want to read to you and with you the whole passage from chapter 4, verse 4 to verse 16. So let's put it up there and let's read this together. It starts in verse 4. It says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And then it says, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean? Except that we also descend, or he also descended to the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. We're going to no longer be tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. For him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. You know what this teaches me? It teaches me about how to be healthy in the body of Christ and how to have a healthy body. That's what the Apostle Paul is striving for here. And then it says this, and I like what it says. When you look at verses 4 through 6, it says something that all of us need to be aware of. It says, There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, the Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Think about that. I want to think about that just for a moment. Paul is telling us that something very important here. And and he's saying that believers are to keep the unity which the Holy Spirit has made. Now again, we cannot make or enforce true unity. True unity only comes by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit makes unity. Our responsibility is to maintain it. So let me tell you how this works. We need unity, don't we? We need unity in our families, in our churches. What do we do? We pray and we ask the Holy Spirit to bring unity to wherever we are. To relationships, to families. We ask Him to do that. He is the only one that can bring it. Now, here's the other side of it. He's the only one that can bring it, but we sure can mess it up. You know, when, when, when we violate the unity or the spirit of unity in family and churches and relationships, that, that is an offense. That's a biblical offense. The Lord says, I bring unity through my Holy Spirit. Now maintain that unity. Walk in that unity. Again, we we cannot enforce. We cannot make it happen. It's only something that the Holy Spirit does. And, you know, something's happening here, and I've seen this going on. It's becoming increasingly more difficult to do in the church or to maintain in the church an environment that is community. Because even in our churches, we've begun and we have catered to individual happiness and well-being. You see, when it comes to community, when it comes to the body of Christ, it isn't all about my happiness. It isn't all about what I think is right, what my preferences are. Did you know when you're under the influence and direction of the Holy Spirit, you're not obligated to say everything you want to say. We think that, oh, I'm just going to say this because I'm going to say it because I have a right to say it. And when I say it, what happens is I can disturb the unity of God's spirit. Listen, sometimes we just need to be under the the discipline of restraint. And that's an area that the Lord has taught me about. He keeps me under that discipline of restraint. He says, listen, this may be true, but this might not be the right time to say it. And for sure, your attitude stinks, so don't you bring this up or you're going to mess things up. I stepped over the line last week. I was in a situation. What I said, everything that I said, I think was right. But my heart wasn't right and I knew my heart wasn't right. I don't know if anyone else knew that my heart wasn't right. But I knew it. And the Holy Spirit said, your heart wasn't right. And he said, I know. And so I took some time. I went out for a walk. I prayed. I asked God to forgive me. Because I can't just say what I want to say. Even when it may be true. I need to be under this sensitive discipline of restraint. And when I step over the line, the Lord says, you may hurt people when you do that. You may hurt the people I love. So I went around the block a few times. Have you done that? Walked around, prayed, tried to justify a few things It didn't work. (laughs) Tried to argue, didn't work. Because I knew in my heart of hearts what I'd done. And I went to one individual and I said, I apologize. I stepped over the line. He says, no, what you said was good. I said, what I said may have been good, but my heart wasn't right when I said it. And you would have no way of knowing that. But I have to come and I have to be a a reconciler. I have to carry the ministry of reconciliation. That person was so gracious. They forgave me and, and we had this wonderful conversation. But I want to say this, be sensitive. Walk under the full submission and obedience of God's Holy Spirit. I ask him to to put into your life that discipline of restraint. Why do we do that? It's for the benefit of the community of the body of Christ. I have to always be mindful that I'm connected to you and that you're connected to me. And I want to represent the Lord well, and I want to represent you well. This isn't just about us and our happiness and what we want and the things we think are good. This is about the community. This is about the body of Christ. And please hear me. All true believers in Jesus Christ belong to one body. And we should realize that we are one in Christ even at the expense of your own personal preferences. In order for us to be absolutely clear concerning unity, Paul gives us, and I love this, seven attributes or qualities of what Unity really looks like. First of all, he begins by saying we are one body. He refers to all believers from Pentecost to the second coming of Christ. Secondly, he says we're one spirit. He refers to the Holy Spirit who baptizes each believer into the body of Christ. So how did you get into the body of Christ? You didn't get into the body of Christ because you're so good. You didn't get into the body of Christ. I didn't get into the body of Christ because I'm so smart. I got into the body of Christ because of the Holy Spirit's conviction in my life. And on my own, I would have never found my way. Because Romans tells me that while I was still an enemy of Christ, he died on the cross so that I could be reconciled to the Father in heaven. That's how I become part of this family. It's only through the Holy Spirit. And then it says, thirdly, one hope Of your calling. Well, this is talking about the goal that's set before all believers in Jesus Christ. Do you want to know what your goal is? Your goal is to be in the presence for eternity with Jesus. Titus chapter 2, verse 13 says, While we wait for that blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then, fourthly, one Lord. That's Jesus Christ. It's by his Lordship that unity is possible. See, it's by the very presence of Christ that order has been brought to wherever the presence of the Lord exists. Did you ever look and see that scripture where it says he comes again and when he comes, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. It doesn't even tell us he says anything. He just shows up. And when he shows up, his presence demands order wherever he is. Isn't that amazing? I grew up with two brothers and a little sister and and. Uh, my brothers and I are like two years and two months apart. Today, I said this before, I think that's against the law. But now, uh, I look back on it and I thought, man, th- this was amazing. No one knew who the oldest was because we're all kind of like peers. So one would say, I'm in charge. The other would say, I'm in charge. And the other one would say, I'm in charge. And when you have three people in charge, guess what? You got fights. That's what you got. And I mean, you're having brouhaha's all the time I'm mean, competing against each other and we'd be scrapping and going at each other and one of them would say, one of the brother, but brothers would say, hey, dad's coming. Whoop, man. All of our petty differences went to the wayside. Why? Because my dad has showed up. My dad's here right now. That's why I'm being good today. <laughs> I'm not doing anything out of line because when he showed up, just his presence demanded order when he walked into the room and we were messing up and we were fighting, we stopped quibbling. We stopped fighting because we knew the alternative. We knew we'd be taken into another room for another reason. (laughs) It's the same when Jesus shows up. He's the Lord of all. And when he shows up, when you invite him, there is order. There is unity because of his lordship. He's the sovereign Lord of all. And then the fifth thing is one faith. This is about the apostles' teaching. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says, And they continued in the apostles' teaching, breaking bread with each other. This is about following and obeying the word of God. A- and the fundamental beliefs that we have as Christians, you see those declared in the apostles' creed. You see later on in the, 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 the council of Nicaea. You see how our early church brothers and sisters worked this out for us so that we stand on the word of God. And then, sixthly, is one baptism. I really think this means the baptism of God's Holy Spirit. It's this immersion that sets us apart as the body of Christ. How can you be identified as salt and light without the distinct presence of God's Spirit in your life? Unless you're immersed every day in the Holy Spirit, in the presence of God, we are not distinguished. It's the Holy Spirit that distinguishes us. It doesn't mean that we're elite or we're better than anyone else. It means that the Holy Spirit of God dwells in us. And that's how we, you and me, are set apart. That's how we're distinguished. It's living in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And then the seventh thing here is one God and one Father of all. This refers to God's fatherhood of believers. Sonship can only come through Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to notice something, how the Apostle Paul develops our walk as believers. In verse 1, he speaks first to the individual. He says, hey, all of you individuals, be completely humble, be gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. And then he widens out to talk about the whole church, which is one body and one spirit. And then in verse 6, we see the crescendo, which declares God over all, through all, and in all. You know what that means? It means God is above his creation. That he's not dependent on his creation. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. He wants us, but he doesn't need us. He's a sovereign God. God is not limited to his creation. He has no bounds except the bounds he puts on himself. And then this, God is in all. He is in this universe through and through. I don't know what brings um, awe to your life when you're... uh, going about your day. But I know for me, when I'm, uh, when I'm out walking around, I could see something just very small in nature, very very uh, fragile in nature, and it, it just reminds me of the, the creativity of God and the amazing, the amazing virtues of his, his creating power. And then, of course, in the evening, when you have those clear skies and you look at the spans of the universe and you think, my goodness, this is amazing. And in Romans chapter 1 verse 20 it says, and, and you should be led to salvation even by looking at all of creation. All of the universe declares his saving grace for us. Let me ask you a question. When you see, when you see a beautiful work of art or when you see a, a, a beautiful building that's been built or even the other day I was driving around and I went into the, uh, the parking lot at Thriftway and I saw this Muscle car, it was beautiful. The guy was getting out of it and, and, and it was beautiful, it was a beautiful work. And I said, man, how did you do this? He said, I built it from the, the ground up. It was a beautiful car. When you see something beautiful like that, something that captures your attention, what's the first question you ask? Who did it? Who made it? Who painted it? The very first question you ask when something captures your attention is who made it? And yet, in our secular science world, we deny there is a creator or an author of something more beautiful than a muscle car, more beautiful than any building you can look at, more beautiful... Than any piece of artwork. And we're standing in the middle of this wonderful creation. And today we're told that there is no author. No one signed the bottom line and said, I created that. How preposterous is that? That we've separated ourselves from the most beautiful thing in the universe and we look at it and we say, There's no author. That is ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. I'm gonna say, if you're seeking God here today, go out, stand under the stars. And I want you to put aside something. Put aside everything you've been indoctrinated in, in your schools and in your colleges. You stand and look face to face to the stars and ask the question, who made this? Psalms chapter 8 verse 1 through 9 says, and it is in his handiwork and creation that we see his wonderful grace. God made it. God designed it. He is motivating the universe. He is moving it according to His plan and purpose. This is what brings meaning to life and makes life worthwhile. And then you move on in the scripture here and you look at verses 7 through 10. And it says this. I'm going to go right down to where it says when he ascended on high, he took many captives. He gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended into the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Paul has a habit here. He has really long sentences. And you look at that sentence like I did, maybe for the very first time, and you're asking yourself, what's he saying? I'll tell you what he's saying. He's saying almost the same thing he says in Philippians chapter 2. This is what he's saying. And Jesus was in heaven with God and didn't think it anything to humble himself and come to earth and take on the form and fashion of human flesh and to live a life sinless And then to die, even the death of the cross, to be buried and rise again on the third day and go ascend again to be with the Father in heaven. That's what he's saying. What a beautiful testimony. What a beautiful testimony. What this tells me is something very, very amazing. He paid the price. Listen to this. What Paul is saying in these few verses is he's saying to you and me that he paid the price. No one else paid the price. Buddha didn't pay the price. Mohammed didn't pay the price. Gandhi didn't pay the price. Nobody paid the price except Jesus Christ. He lived. He shed his own blood. And there was a sacrifice. The only begotten son who died and rose again at, at the power of the spoken word of God. He rises from the grave. It is Jesus Christ who paid the price. And that's why he demands my attention. That's why I look at him in awe because he's the only one that paid the price. There's no one equal to him. He's the only one who's done this. I hear people talk to me about their aspirations, their aspirations to be a great musician, their aspirations to be a a great athlete. And I love to hear people dream. But I'm going to tell you something. Unless you you dump yourself right into this, this 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 funnel of discipline, this this place where you're going to pay the price and you get beat up along the way. You'll never be that great athlete. You'll never be that great musician. They just remain dreams. You see, you have to go through and pay the price. There's a price to be paid. And when it comes to your salvation and my salvation, there's only one person that paid the price. It's the one who came down, died, died. And rose again and now sits at the right hand of the Father. That's who paid the prize. You look at verse 7. I'm going to back you up just a little bit. But it says, to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. I love what it says there. God has given gifts to believers as we see in Romans chapter 12 and in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through 14. If you want to know about the gifts, then go right here. And even though believers are to give diligence to keep the unity of the Spirit, this does not mean that each one of us is a carbon copy of the other. That you've been created uniquely. You've been created differently. You've been created wonderfully. Every believer, everyone in this room who calls on the name of Jesus as your Lord has been given a gift so you may function in the body of believers in a particular way. Hear me about this. Hear me on this. I think one of the reasons the body is weak today, one of the reasons we don't have strength today, is because there are people in the body of Christ that are holding their gifts back. I don't know if it's out of ignorance. I don't know if it's out of fear. I don't know what causes them to hold their gifts back. But they're holding their gifts back. And when they do, the body suffers because they've held those gifts back. Paul is saying all believers must contribute so that we can be whole. You have been given a gift for the purpose of building up the body of believers. Your gift is meant to profit the whole body of believers. And no gift is given for you to keep. Just the very nature of a gift means that you are required by God's Spirit to give it away. This is the problem. We hold on to them. We keep them for ourselves. And the Lord says, when you do that, you don't bless the whole body. In fact, the whole body suffers. A gift by its nature is meant to bless and benefit others with no strings attached. That's a hard one. Because I always want something. You know, I won't want to give something. I want something back. But it says, when you have gifts that are given to you, you give them freely with no strings attached listen, what are we looking for? Are we looking for the applause of men when we give gifts? Or are we looking for the blessing of God's spirit in seeing the body of Christ built up and strengthened? That's where community is involved. I want to say this. I, I was thinking about this scripture for myself just through this week, applying it to my own life. And, and I asked the Lord, Lord, what is the gift that I contribute where I feel the most satisfied, where I know I'm really doing what you've called me to do. And th- this, is, this is what I understand. This is what I understand about myself. While preaching is something that I, that I do on the weekend, and believe me, I, I enjoy this. I, I know it's something that I've been called to do, it's something that God has asked me to do. But if you're going to be real about it, it's something I only do three times a, a week over the weekend. So what do I do the rest of the time? Do I spend the rest of my time just getting ready for this? I do, but it isn't where I live my life. I'm talking to you about where I live my life. And I realize something, that preaching isn't where I'm the most satisfied. Now, it may be different for other people. I'm not saying that all preachers don't don't do or don't experience that. I'm just telling you my experience. Can I tell you when I know that I'm the most satisfied? It's when I'm living out the core values that God has given me. And here's one of the main core values. Treat everyone well along the way. I know I'm the most satisfied when I'm treating every encounter that I have with anyone on planet earth, when I'm treating them as though God would treat them and as though He loves them because He does and I include them, I want them to belong. I want unbelievers, I want believers to know that they have a place they can belong and that's in Jesus Christ. That's when I'm the most satisfied. And that gift is expressed in a lot of different places, in a lot of different ways. Hopefully it comes out here every now and again. But mainly it takes place in the encounters that I have with my family and that I have with you. and Becky and I ran into each other at Rite Aid. That was a divine moment. That was that, was that moment where we looked at each other. That, I walked away from that conversation and say, now that's what I belong for. That's why I'm here. No one else saw it. There's no applause And I appreciate the the privilege that God has given me to teach his word. But I know it's so public and and, and, and you'll get get people and you're very kind. You you, you say how much you appreciated that. And I love to hear stuff like it because I want to see and know that your life is changed. But what about the things you do that nobody sees? And in that you're satisfied. In that you know you're expressing your gifts. And listen, everyone can do that. I was sitting next to a father and son few days ago and, and I was listening to their conversation I didn't mean to they were just sitting right next to me so I couldn't help but listen to their conversation and I could tell how much the father loved his son and how much the son loved his father and, and I got up and I looked at the father and I said you're a good dad and he just looked at me he didn't even know what to say and I said and you have a good son and he says I know I love him I said, I couldn't help but over here, you guys are going fishing. He goes, yeah, and he lit up, and his son lit up. And I said, I want you guys just to enjoy your time. And I walked away. That one moment oftentimes will satisfy me more than, than one sermon because I just preached a sermon. Besides that, I didn't have a study as hard. You have a story to tell. Give your gift. Don't hold it back. Give your gift to the body of Christ so that all can be strengthened. Listen, along with the gift, it says every one of us is given grace to exercise that gift in the power and the fullness of the Holy Spirit. When each believer functions in his or her particular gift, it produces harmony. However, when one member of the body refuses to contribute, the whole body suffers. Don't forget you're on a team. And whatever you do on the team affects other team members. And I want to make sure that I'm living my life so so that I, and when I go places, I reflect you well. Most of all, I reflect the Lord well. But I'm part of this church family. And I want to make sure that I'm giving my gifts so that all of us stay healthy, that we're all on the same team. Don't hold back your gifts. Learn how to play the game according to Scripture. It's found here in Ephesians 4. I uh, coached my boys in, in baseball when they, when they were growing up, when they were little, and, and uh, coached them all the way through almost to high school. And, uh, and, and I thought just because, you know, their mom and dad love baseball, we talk about baseball, that, you know, you just pick it up, osmosis, you know, that's how you pick it up, and, until I coached my second son in his first game. And he gets a base hit. I'm the first base coach. And he runs to first. And I said, good boy, man. It's your first base hit. And he's standing there and he has a smile on his face. And I said, now nah, I want you, you know, when the pitcher gets up there, you go ahead and lead off. And he's standing there and he's looking into the infield like this, the way he's supposed to. And then he turns around and he's leading off like this. He's looking out at the right fielder. And I think, oh, man, time out, time out. I pull him aside. I say, son, when you're faced that way, you can't see the game you got to be in the game, face this way. When you lead off from now on, don't be looking at the right fielder. They'll pick you right off. I said, you look inside, pay attention to what's going on in the game. And he turned around and then he started playing like a ball player, just like this. He knew what he was doing. This is what I know. I, I know that there are some of us, for whatever reasons, we're not in the game. Our head's not in the game. We're supposed to be looking one way and we're looking the other. We're supposed to be contributing as a team member, but, but we, we just, we're just not. And the Bible says that when one member holds back, the rest of the body suffers. Today I want you to think of yourself belonging to a community. That you belong to the body of Christ. And the Lord says, pay attention, don't daydream. Keep your eye on the ball. Because this is the game I've called you to. This is the place I've called you. Friends, if you don't exercise your gift in the body of Christ, you throw the whole team out of sync. Can I tell you three things on how I learn my gifts? And these are quick three things, very simple things. If you're wondering, how do I know what my gifts are? How do I know how to contribute? Let me tell you where you start. The first place you start is serving others. If you're waiting around for God to bring some sort of great magnificent picture for you on how you're supposed to be contributing to the body, you're going to be waiting until the calves come home or Jesus comes back. You know why? He says, I need somebody engaged. I need people who will serve other people. I need people who serve the people I love. And when you engage in serving others, then you begin to discover something about your contribution, your gift. It's in action. And then the second thing is fellowship with one another. Iron sharpens iron. It's having conversations with people you trust and people who can give you good input and good advice and and people who you can share with. It's living life like we live life. That's how we learn about our giftings. And then the third is this. The third is so important. It's feedback from others. I can't tell you how important it has been for me all through my life that somebody gives me feedback because sometimes I don't see the gift in my own life and someone else says, wow, I see this about you. I see this. You you, you really do this. You lead well here. You do this well. I do? I didn't know that. It's about somebody you respect, a mentor or someone who comes along and I hope you hear that from me often that I'm looking you in the eyes and saying, I love that gift. I love what God's called you to do. Keep doing it. Wilkie, keep going and playing your guitar. Keep being a good chaplain. Jim Fortner, you keep doing the same thing. Bill Roberts, you keep doing the same thing. It's just looking each other in the eyes and saying, that a boy, go. That's the gift God has given you. You know how affirming that is? How much confidence that builds up to say, wow, this is my gift. This is my stride. And I'll tell you what, when you get the body of Christ and those individuals in a stride, you can't stop it. Because they're moving. There's nothing that'll stop it. That's what we're all about. It's about being discipled in a way that we have this gate about us that can't be stopped. It's amazing. I remember um, the first time, other than my mom and dad telling me that, that I had some gift to contribute, I was 10 years old. And I'll never forget it. I really didn't have a great experience in my first through fourth grade years. I, it, it was a matter of fact, I would even go further. It was pretty horrendous, my first through fourth grade. The, the teachers really didn't know me. They didn't understand me. My mom and dad did, but every time I got in trouble, which was almost every day, they would send me outside. My dad would sit down at these school conferences with a teacher and say, don't send him outside. That's exactly what he wants you to do. You're playing right into his game because he wants to go outside. He's figuring out how to get out to the baseball field. He's figuring out how to climb the fence. He's figuring out how to ditch school don't put him out there and then I get into to to fifth grade and I walk into this class (sighs) you know all the teachers get the reports from the last four years I mean I know what this teacher is doing he's going oh my goodness are you kidding me (laughs) and and I kind of walking in I got wild eyes I'm saying all right who's in charge here and I come in and you know what this guy did he says come here I, I need you He says, I need you to help me because I think you're a leader. And I said, I am? He says, yeah, I I want you to help me this year. First thing he did, first day of school, I got straight A's that year. I never had straight A's before, except in PE. (laughs) Why? Because somebody noticed something in me. And they said, you know what? Yeah, that's good. I like to see that. That a boy. That a girl. Go for it. That's how you find your way. That's how you contribute. Friends, don't hold back. Give your gifts so the body of Christ can be strong. Can you say amen? Would you bow your head with me? I'm going to invite our worship team to come forward and and our prayer teams as well, if they would make their way around the, the sanctuary. And, and as our teams come forward, I just want to remind you that you do have a place to go for prayer after our service today. Someone can pray for you. Maybe you're going through something, you're struggling, whatever it may be. Um, go and receive prayer. You need healing. Go receive prayer. Remember, don't let pride get in the way. As I've said earlier, don't let that stinking pride keep you back. The Bible says humble yourself and receive from the Lord. The Lord embraces the humble. That's what it says. Receive the prayer. Of other brothers and sisters, so you can be strengthened. Lean on his arms and help others. And you help others by carrying the body of Christ and the burden of the body of Christ. Carry one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. Father, I want to thank you today for your amazing grace that you so freely have given to us. That I'm a benefactor of that grace. Can't even imagine can't imagine what it cost you I just know it did and thank you for paying the price thank you for paying the price of these individuals that are here and thank you for paying the price for your body your bride not perfect oftentimes broken anemic but it's yours and you love it so Lord let us contribute our gifts one to another And let us be strengthened as you are our head, and we will follow you. In our great Lord's name we pray. Amen. You can contact the church office Tuesday through Thursday from 9 to 5 and Fridays from 9 to 3 at 503-266-4444. Please visit us on the web anytime at canbefoursquare.com. Pastor Ron and others on New Life staff along with occasional guest speakers trust that the Holy Spirit will use the message to teach you, encourage you and give you hope.